They watched. They waited. Now their time has come. Out of the depths of space, the ultimate terror. Moving, searching, destroying. From body to body, from life to life, from man to woman, changing, growing, burning for our life force. check out a little film about a space of uh, sorry a race of space vampires arriving in london infecting the populace and beginning an apocalyptic descent into chaos that's right folks we're revisiting mm -hmm. the toby hooper 1985 canon classic life, life force. force that's right we, we we watched this one a while back and it was not in the best of quality so we decided to give it another shot and just to remind people, as I'm pretty positive we talked about this on the podcast at the time, 20 years ago, that we watched originally a YouTube cut where mm -hmm. they shrunk it down to just the corn top left corner of the screen, um, cropped with like missing frames and had a weird freaking uh, screen shaver background going on. And I think they even had the video flipped just so that they could avoid copyright takedown. Which isn't how it works. That's not how it works. <laughs> the problem was, like, this movie was, like, one of those early movies where, for some reason, it was difficult to find. But so. recently, within the last two years, Shout Factory, Scream Factory re-released it again with a 4K UHD uh, copy that also included the Blu-ray that had both theatrical and director's cut. So this time we can say, mm -hmm. with finality, that we watched the director's cut of Life Force. We did. So, Randy... Other than the movie being that one segment that you mentioned, what is it actually about? It's about actual, actual vampires from space. Space vampires, you said. What do they do exactly? Walk around naked. And suck the life force out of other people. And then they apparently gather it for themselves like hungry vermin. Because they're vampires from mm. space. Actual, actual vampires. And then at the end they get reversed and sent back to where they came. So would you be surprised mm -hmm. that when they gave this over to Toby Hooper, the Golan and Globus, that their only request was that there was as much full frontal female nudity as possible? That doesn't surprise me, no. Because this pretty much has as much female nudity as you can get without having an X rating. Yes, and... Mm -hmm. Then they went so far as to say, this is going to be our Star Wars. Okay. <laughs> it's not really that type of movie, but okay. In other words, it's going to be our space epic. Um, and to just lay it out, because we, we didn't discuss this the very first time we talked about this, but this movie is freaking stacked, mm -hmm. not just with actors, stacked but with, with crews. Crews? Like... Like... For instance, I'm not going to give the names. I'm just going to describe that Life Force uh -huh. had the director of Poltergeist, mm -hmm. not Steven Spielberg, Toby Cooper, Hooper, 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 the effects and makeup artists from Star Wars, mm -hmm. the screenwriter of Alien, 
The art and production designers from 2001, A Space Odyssey, and the guy who wrote the Pink Panther theme song doing the music. Oh, yeah. It's some good music, too. And that's not even the actors. The no. actors is like the... Um, What's what's the the something row the 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 uh, killer's oh, row or the uh, something row of actors? I don't know what you mean. I can't remember my my my, about. my terminologies and my my weird idioms. I'm being vague and just um, say the names. It's a it's stacked with actors. Mm-hmm. Stacked to the rafters. Yes. You have Steve Railsback uh-huh. as Carlson, Matilda May as Space Girl, mm-hmm. and now let's start getting to all these hoity-toity British actors, such as Peter Firth. Mm-hmm. Frank Finlay, mm-hmm. Michael Gotthard, Nicholas Ball, Aubrey Morris, Nancy Paul, John Hallam, John Keegan, Chris Jagger, the younger brother of Mick Jagger, and featuring Patrick, sorry, correction, Sir Patrick Stewart as Dr. Armstrong. The man he loved. Yes, because Technically. it's because it's Doctor Doctor Armstrong played by Patrick Stewart. That's Patrick Stewart's first on-screen kiss in anything he's ever been in. Prior to this, he was in Dune and some other movie that's also very popular, but I can't remember what it is at the mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. So the big secret of this movie is that it's essentially a Hammer horror movie done by Canon Films and done by Toby Hooper. Yeah. So you have so many Shakespearean actors in this, and that's why the movie is such. Um, such a real mystery concoction that people could never figure out. Like, this is their Star Wars. I guess in a spectacle Golan sense. Golan and Globus sure. wanted to do this movie from their taking over of mm-hmm. canon. It's not a movie. It, it was, it was announced within their first 20 films mm-hmm. that they said they were putting into production at the time. Just known as Space Vampires. Yeah. And then they said they wanted to distance it from the uh, horny schlock and campy and exploitive stuff that they were doing before so they what they made him call it made toby hooper call it life force but then specified that yes it's our star wars but we want this 18 year old actress to be naked for throughout with no pubic hair well to be perfectly fair with the way they actually executed it it is not very sleazy no it's not it's, it's rather classy for what it is it's very, um, like I said, it feels like a Hammer horror movie filtered with the usual canon madness, and it's not exactly the concoction you would get from Excalibur. Of them on their Excalibur own. was the other big movie had been in uh-huh. this. Yeah. So what you end up with this is the director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre getting to do something really, really bizarre. And the director of Poltergeist, I don't care what the internet says, the director of Poltergeist, Toby Hooper. Yes, he directed Poltergeist. He also directed two other canon movies, but this was the one, I think, of all the ones he did for canon is that he's remembered for the most. Because it's probably the most, like I said, out there thing he's ever done. Like, if you're going into this movie and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be a highbrow sci-fi flick because of all the British actors in it, no, you're wrong. But if you're going in there expecting to be surprised mm-hmm. and entertained and confused and a little bit turned on, um, <laughs> then you'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, it's This movie is just strange and weird and everything you want a canon film to be. Yes, that's why it's considered usually when people talk about the most canon movies. This is usually near the top of it because... 
this is the sort of thing that couldn't have existed at any other point by anybody else. As I said, they clearly wanted their own sort of hammer horror movie, but it's also filtered through the 1980s and canon specifically. No, so it's filtered. Some... It's filtered through Toby Hooper, who knows how to do a throwback to the 50s. Oh yeah. Also, the original author of the book that this is based on hated this film. Well, a lot of them did back then. It's. I don't think they really expected their move the movies to be made. Um, I don't know. I can't. I can't think of a whole lot of, uh, especially uh, authors of, British type books and by that i mean like hammer type books because there were there were those back then how they would have expected movies like this to be because from the story this movie has like i can't imagine it being filmed any other way than this this is kind of how you have to do something like this unless you ramp up the out out there uh, elements of it it's either going to be too boring or too confusing or too chaotic and somehow Toby Hooper, because he's a skilled director, managed to juggle every, all of that, all of that stuff, and make it a coherent movie that is two hours, almost exactly two hours long, and yet in the director's cut, yes, and still pretty, and it's still pretty quick. Still goes through all the all the, the emotions, it escalates, it and has a lot of action. Sequences. Unlike another movie that we watched recently, and you'll, <laughs> I think, comes on out before this episode, yes, that was an hour and 40 minutes but actually was three hours this was <laughs> uh, roughly two hours and only felt like it was like an hour and a half like it was a very fast moving movie it was and it's a very interesting movie a very strange movie a lot of surprises a lot of cool little twists a lot of uh, special effects that are really interesting a lot of over-the-top campy performances on purpose a lot of good music a lot of really good practical effects um it just like it's one of those movies where you, you can't really explain why it works but it works that's why when you mentioned all the people that got together and and the movie wasn't that successful when it came out and people were like it's not it's not very good but then if you watch it now divorced from all that um, there isn't a whole lot like it and it works very well for what it's trying to do but like a Star Wars style blockbuster no not really this was never going to be a blockbuster not especially when it came out in the same time frame as like Back to the Future and Goonies. And, no, it doesn't uh, have that kind of wide appeal. And Cocoon! Cocoon. <laughs> you remember Cocoon? Nobody remembers Cocoon except that there was a movie called Cocoon. I'm convinced of that. All I remember, it has the guy who says diabetes in it, <laughs> and they all become young and go to space. And, and, it, and it's some sort of a metaphor for the afterlife and the fountain of youth. And for some reason, every single VH store had a poster of the sequel in it for some inexplicable reason. The Even Return came out. Yeah. The Return. That and Jaws 3, The Revenge. Sorry, Jaws 2, The Revenge. <laughs> yeah, so, like, we covered his other movies he's done before. We did Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the sequel, and we did uh, Invaders from Mars. Uh, this one is... And this movie. Well, that's what I'm about to talk about. This movie is kind of, even among his stuff, is kind of the oddball out. Um, most of his movies are have this, like, like uh, I guess, comedic edge or lack of a better term, um, a wacky side to it. This movie, he kind of fully embraces that. And it ends up making the movie really, really different than even his other stuff. And I'm going to say something really controversial here. Mm -hmm. But remember how I said for Joe Dante when we were doing all those Joe Dante specials? Mm -hmm. Yes, folks, we finally admit that we did a Joe Dante special <laughs> of movies. That yeah. I said that Inner Space was the most Joe Dante of Joe Dante films. 
Yeah, it was. This is, from all the Toby Hooper films I've seen, the most Toby Hooper of Toby Hooper films. Yeah. it's He had the budget to do anything, and he did anything and everything. He did everything he could possibly do. And because he did all that, as I so said... Yeah, there's a certain unhinged element to it. Mm-hmm. Um I'll probably, I'll probably after I see Poltergeist eventually, I'll probably go, no, that's the most Toby Hooper of Toby Hooper films ever made. Uh, but yeah, out of everything we've seen, I've seen of him, hmm. this is the most Toby Hooper film. Probably followed by Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. <laughs> that one is a... That was another one where... Because he, he didn't want to do that one, but then he said, screw it. It's like, I'll do it instead of Spider-Man. Huh, I'm glad he did it because, like I said, it really showed exactly how much of a, a unique sort of voice this guy had because for the longest time... Um, I don't know if anybody listening to this would know this, but for for a long time, Toby Hooper was thought to have had been basically been a one trick pony. Poltergeist, he, and even then, no, sorry, Texas, Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw, Massacre. Chainsaw Massacre, and then he did Poltergeist. But no, wait, that was actually Steven Spielberg who directed that, and then he lucked into a can- contract with Canon. Would you know it? All those movies were just shit. Because as you know, Canon Films is where good directors go to die. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he basically. Wandered off, got a whole bunch of bad scripts, and made those until he died. He was basically looked at for a long time as a hack. He was not looked at as someone who made good horror movies. But since we started this, we watched a bunch of his movies, and uh, I'd have to say that that assessment is pretty off the mark. He makes incredibly interesting They're films. all very unique. They all have a very specific voice to it. Even like uh, Invaders from Mars, which I like more than Randy, that movie has a very specific take on that story that only he could do. And he makes an ending work that should not work. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which I think I liked more than you did, is is almost a send-up of his original movie. And in a way, if anybody else did a sequel like that, like if he did a Halloween 2 like that, a lot of people would be really pissed off. Okay, that. the only other person, once again, to compare him to is that could have done that, so to do a send-up of their previous work, mm-hmm. is Joe Dante. Yeah, that's and he did it. <laughs> yeah, he, he actually did, it. did In this case, he changed the tone, but for some reason, everything about the movie still works, and all the characters are just as compelling as they were in the first movie. The only thing he did was change genres. He made it a black comedy, and it worked. And in this case, it's not really um, a space epic movie. It's basically a hammer horror movie, but he did his own touches with it, and he made it's, it. It's a own. weird combination of sci-fi horror romance for some reason. Um, really weird romance, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, the movie starts off as as uh, space, mm-hmm. and then it goes into this weird thriller where they're hunting down a killer creature Mm -hmm. and then it goes into a zombie movie at the end but they're actually vampires and not zombies Mm -hmm. taking over london as it falls down around them but they have a ticking clock and Mm -hmm. it's like yeah weird strange it's like it has movements and they revert and And there's even a freaking poltergeist type sequence in the middle of it with uh with patrick stewart being possessed and being drugged and everything flying all over the place yeah breaking finley's neck oh yeah there's a lot of really interesting stuff like when we saw this the first time i guess it was a bit more difficult to talk about this is the third time i've seen this movie fourth time i've seen this movie. yeah well when we first saw it, that was the first time i think either of us had seen the movie and in it was not worst... in a good quality and i think even at the time we're like we'll probably reassess this at our uh wrap up which we ended up doing because i think we both went and watched it in a better format mm. but i think we both watched the theatrical yeah but... and then this time we watched the Direct this time we know what we watched. Let's put it that way. Yes. We were more prepared going into it. 
we'd seen a lot more uh, can't not just canon movies, but movies like this and other Toby Hooper movies. So and just, and we've recently watched a couple of stinkers of films. Oh, some really bad ones, including what possibly is the worst of the season. Mm. And like I said, rewatching this uh, gives me a new appreciation for it because I liked it before and I still really like it. It's not a whole lot like it at all, even like I said, among Toby Hooper's stuff or canon stuff, and it's a sort of project that could only have existed in that one specific nexus of time considering all the people they got together to make it and the, and it was an expensive movie to make it was one of the most expensive movies to make and there was no way it was ever going to make back that money at the box office i'm i'm not i'm 100 sure by now it's definitely made its money back yeah with how many re-releases out of, out of a lot of the movies we have this is the one that has like the most re-releases i've seen and, and every re-release has more special features. Yes, this one is, is one that has definitely changed in appreciation over time. It was thought of as a turkey when it came out for a lot of people. It's turkey time, gobble gobble. Uh, and it's one of his worst one of his worst movies that basically killed his career. But like I said, looking at it now, it's when you understand everything around it and what he was getting across and how it plays out, it's a pretty good movie, actually. It's it's very enjoyable, and it's definitely one. Again, I will watch another time whenever I whenever I get around to it. I'll watch it again. There isn't anything like Life Force at all, and I'm, I actually am glad they call it Life Force, not Space Vampires, because again, <laughs> it gives me a specific image when I think Life Force that Space Vampires doesn't give. Like just to give you an idea of like what he did after this. Yeah. And tell me if you've heard of any of these ones here. Obviously, this one, yes. Mm -hmm. Invaders from Mars. Yes, we covered that. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. So life. So all three of his canon films came out in a two-year period. Yep. He was set to. He was only set to produce Chainsaw Massacre two. Mm-hmm. And he was set for his third film to do Spider-Man. But then again, every director yeah. who has worked for canon has been connected with that Spider-Man film. At some point. And when yeah. that fell through, he did Texas Chainsaw Massacre two to get out of his contract. Which was definitely a good idea. Then he didn't do anything until 1990 with spontaneous combustion. Yes. Then in 93, Night Terrors. Mm -hmm. And then in 95, The Mangler. Mm -hmm. And then in 2000, Crocodile. Yeah. And then he directed in 2004, Toolbox Mur Murders. 2005, Mortuary. Mm -hmm. And then in 2013, yeah. Jin. And then in 2017, he died. Yeah, like I but said, he did a lot of television series, including Salem's Lot, the miniseries back in '79, yeah. and a bunch of Tales from the Crypt and Haunted Lives through Ghost Stories and Freddy's Nightmares and Dark Skies and the others and this and that and everything. He's involved in a lot of stuff, but like there was like I said, a narrative around him for a long time that he was basically a one-trick pony. And from what we can tell you, just as canon cruiser stuff we've covered, that's not the case at all. And I'm glad that in recent years he's gotten a reassessment and people appreciate the stuff he's put out more because there's a lot to be gained. Even a movie like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which I think before we even watched it, Randy was like, oh, it's going to be one of those sequels, huh? Where it's just uh, the same thing again. But As, you know, as uh, many people bloodier. can attest to, um, I before we started doing this, I actually hated horror movies i've never been a fan of horror movies i've never been a fan of slashers I've never mm -hmm. been a fan. i'm terribly traumatized uh by zombies <laughs> yeah um though we have determined that it might be my cousins that traumatized me that at a very young age <laughs> yeah um mm -hmm. but i found myself over the these last 20 years i don't know how long <laughs> we've been doing this five years six years say 65 years that i've been waiting 80 years mm -hmm. that 
I've, I've come to have an appreciation for horror movies mm-hmm. that I didn't have before and that I have found that mm-hmm. Toby Hooper does a pretty good damn job for his horror movies. Yeah. Or horror-influenced movies. Like, I'm probably this month for the first time ever going to watch Poltergeist on my own. I've never seen mm-hmm. Poltergeist. Like, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I wouldn't have watched that without he, Hannah Cruisers, and I thought that was a pretty good movie. Yeah, even like I said, um, I avoided that one for years until we did it on Cannon Cruisers. And not because I thought I was going to hate or anything, is because I had this perception of what the movie was until we watched it. And once we watched it, I realized, wait a minute, there's more to this than I thought. And we watched the sequel, and it took a while for that one to bake in a little bit because of how different it was. It gave me a new appreciation for what the genre could do where it could head and what the director himself was capable of also not to say that there hmm. are any other good texas chainsaw massacre movies beyond the first two that are part, are done by toby hooper i mean all of the sequels and reboots and reboots and and and, and re-sequels hmm. or see rebookwells or whatever you want to call them um like they just did one on netflix which is apparently awful and um, it's a probably. direct direct uh yeah thing to it probably the thing is that I don't really give a shit about Texas Chainsaw Massacre without Toby Hooper doing it because it's his creation and he had a very unique way of getting it across. The first movie is a very specific story and the sequel is him doing another very specific story and he also managed to bookend it too very well. So just like taking a typical horror setup and doing whatever with it just doesn't appeal to me at all. Somebody so, really wants to get across to you, Randy. Yes. So, mm-hmm. with that said, what's your highlight for this film? Uh, probably the spectacle. Um, while, like I said, it's not a Star Wars type thing, the uh, actual spectacle of the movie is not just one thing. It's not like, look at those cool uh, gore effects or look at those cool spaceships. In this case, it's literally everything. From the the space to the horror elements to the weird psychic stuff to the uh, yes the the body the the bodies coming back to life the space vampires themselves even if they're naked it works very well for the type of movie this is um, everything about it is just I guess it's mesmerizing for lack of a better term every time something like that happens you just kind of get stuck to the screen. And it happens a lot, too, so you won't be looking away too often. What about for you? What's your highlight? I will agree with you. The spectacle for the of the film is just mm. phenomenal. It's like it, it rises to another level. It's the fact that the descriptor I gave at the beginning is literally one act of the film. It is, because a lot happens in the movie. Um, but the, and specifically, I have to call out the, the practical effects, but that mm. also still leads me into the same mm-hmm. low light I had the first time we talked about it is that as good as the practical effects were, they didn't age as well as something as, say, the practical effects on The Thing or uh, other movies we have watched. Well, they're very different than those movies. Too. Yeah, they're there's very stylized. Kinds. They're very stylized. And there's yes. very different types of them, too. It's not just like like all the horror effects in one movie is just the monster. Another one, it's just the spaceships. Another one, it's just the explosions. Yeah. This is all of that. That that's it, and it's like the budget was there, but yeah, like uh, like the the mm. looks of the actual desiccated corpses, like mm. the, the dried out corpses that are walking, uh, they look a little cheap, a little fake. It's like they cheaped out a little bit on the budget, but then I'm saying this, and at the same time, <laughs> they reuse these as the corpses in the mummy. 
yeah, later you, on. When, but there was just something that didn't age well about the eyes and and that Patrick Stewart face where he suddenly looked like a marionette out of Team America World Police. I thought that was more disturbing than that. <laughs> it just kind of freaked me out a little bit looking at it. Just because of the way the blood was coming out and the way the thing was staring? It was yeah, it didn't, it didn't work. It's, it, it, it broke that uncanny valley there. So it's like that part, that those types of effects didn't age as well mm-hmm. as some of the others. But also in that very scene too, you have to point out the giant blood ball that forms into a person that forms into Melinda that, that that transforms into Melinda May, a space girl, and then explodes. Yes, that that part was cool. But like I said, That's... a lot of the effects with the marionettes and the puppets kind of were a little bit cheap. They looked good, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they, they they didn't age as well as they could have, as as we've seen mm-hmm. in other movies. And you're that. a low light. Yeah, I would say a couple of the effects are not as good. But like for me, it takes a lot to take me out of a, a movie when it when the spectacle is the way it is, unless it's like really noticeable. Like I have a hard time with CG. Every time I look at CG, I just see computer effects, and it takes me out every single time. Yeah, those definitely didn't age well. Like I said, this this <clears throat> aged okay, but just not as well as some of the others we have. Seen. Well, you also mentioned the Mummy. This has aged better than the Mummy has. Yes. But didn't age as well as, let's say, the special effects on The Howling, another Joe Dante film that I always, I'm, I've been calling out more recently. Mm-hmm. But again, like I said, when it comes to the effects, but that def- one, it's one thing. But definitely, they focused on definitely the, the special effects aged better than mm-hmm. I don't know the Company of Wolves. Oh yeah, that's true. Though that was a little bit more stylized and nightmarish, but you know what I mean. So this time round yeah. on this detour or turnabout on the Cannon Cruise and Highway that yeah. we do. What would you rate this film? Five out of five. I have to give it a five. Yes, this time around, I would give it a five out of five. It's not a four, it's a five. It's a really good Canon film. It's a really good Toby Hooper film. It's just a really good original project that could not have existed at any other point in time except that specific time. And it is so unique in every aspect of it. From all the talent involved. And if you took out the nudity, it would still be just as good of a movie. It would be. The, the difference, too, and this is probably a, a test to his skill, is that even with the nudity, it doesn't feel sleazy or cheesy or anything like that. It kind of feels like it, if you took it out, <clears throat> the monsters would not have the same effect, the that uncanny human effect. Yeah, because what need do they have for clothes? Mm-hmm. Why should they care about human mores and uh Because and they just morals. artificially look like human beings. They're not actual human beings, so they're kind of like dolls and the way they move and react. Which it's... brings us back to Matilda May, which I should have actually called out as a uh, as a highlight for this, is that mm-hmm. while she was also a dancer and a ballerina, and she that's how she carried herself. So it wasn't yeah. as, as human. It was more fluid and mechanical and otherworldly in her movements that's why they relied on her most of all for the aliens because they had two others as yeah well, but they didn't yeah use mick them jagger's younger brother chris but they didn't use them as much and i think that was to the benefit for because basically that meant she had to lift up the entire alien aspect on her own mm-hmm. and she does it incredibly well and like just thinking about the movie Pretty much every aspect of it. Like, even the actors. I'm glad like, they yeah. chose the actors they did because they really sell it. They ate scenery and they enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, I guess with that, we've given this movie the accolades it deserves. Yeah. Especially, like I said, And, Toby there, Hooper and we especially. don't have much more to talk about on it at this time. Not really, but I just, like I said, wanted to specifically point out that uh, I'm glad he, Toby, Toby Hooper's getting more respect now for this sort of stuff because he deserves it. 
And uh, this one, especially if you're into canon stuff, you're into horror movies, you're even into like hammer horror movies, definitely give this one a shot if you haven't or if you pass it up because of whatever, you know, bad word of mouth from whoever wasn't paying attention. It's definitely worth seeing and one of, I'd say, canon's best. And it definitely deserves to be called a cult classic. Yes, it does. This one actually does. So with that uh, said... All right. We'll see you next time. We'll continue our cruise to the Canon Catalog. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. So long. We're Canon Films, and we're Dynamite. They watched. They waited. Now their time has come. Out of the depths of space, the ultimate terror. Moving, searching, destroying. From body to body, from life to life, from man to woman. Changing, growing, burning for our life force. director of Poltergeist, from the special effects creator of Star Trek, the motion picture, Life Force. In the blink of an eye, the terror begins.